Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Wisconsin voters make split decisions at the top of the ballot, electing Democratic Governor Tony Evers and Republican Senator Ron Johnson. We discuss how this rare outcome happened in the battleground state. Plus, Republicans fall short of gaining a supermajority in the state legislature. And looking ahead to what we can expect from state lawmakers this year and Governor Tony Evers' second term. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for November 11th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., first, congratulations. Yeah, it's in order for both of us. We made it through another election. That's five gubernatorial elections down, four more to go, Emily. All I'm right, down. all right, <laughs> all right. So, of course, it was a very unique election because mm-hmm. it was the first time since 1998 Wisconsin elected a Democratic governor and a Republican U.S. Senator. So it was a split ticket vote, something that we haven't seen for decades here in Wisconsin. Um, Before we dive into kind of digesting this entire election, I, of course, if our audience doesn't know who won, I would hope they would. Democratic Governor Tony Evers was reelected to a second term. Senator Ron Johnson was reelected as well. Um, Let's just hear from Governor Tony Evers' victory speech. He had, of course, some of his fun one-liners, holy mackerel, (laughs) during his victory speech. And then Tim Michaels, who was his Republican opponent uh, in his concession speech. Let's take a listen, and then we'll break down uh, voter turnout. You showed up because you saw our democracy was on a brink of existence, and you decided to do a damn thing about it. You've, you've never stopped showing up. You've never stopped believing in the work we could do. You've never stopped fighting for the future we want to build for the state and for our kids. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Tonight, we prove that there is so much we can do when we work together, when we do the right thing, and when we're willing to fight for the future that we want for our kids and our state. And we're just getting started, folks. We're We're gonna polka tonight and get back to work tomorrow. Thank you, Wisconsin. We love you. Unfortunately, the math doesn't add up. I just called Governor Evers and conceded. I wish the Evers family well. We love this state with all our hearts. I hope that some of the problems that were identified uh, will be taken very seriously by the Evers administration. I don't know what we would have done differently. It was a very spirited effort. Uh, I, I love going everywhere from Superior to Kenosha, Sheboygan to La Crosse. We campaigned in bars and bowling alleys and supper clubs, football games, everywhere. And uh, the enthusiasm was just off the charts. But uh, it wasn't our night tonight. And uh, I thank everybody for all of your support. God bless. Thank you. Now, some people are still processing uh, these results because it was so unique that we saw these results. There's a lot of factors at play that we're going to dive into. I mean, first one you got to say is that Michaels and Barnes underperformed in some key areas that they needed to win in order to follow the playbook that basically of how you win statewide elections. We had campaigned uh, fundraising uh, 
massive amounts pouring in. I think it was a clear sign that attack ads can work. A lot of issues at play here. Crime and abortion helped specific candidates win. And uh, also just turnout. Um, So we're going to pull up the map here of comparing Governor Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes. Now, we're focusing on Dana Milwaukee County because those are the two Democratic strongholds that Mm -hmm. Democrats need to perform well in. And as you can see, Evers had nearly 5,000 more votes compared to Barnes and Dane and about 2,400 more votes in Milwaukee County over Barnes. So a lot of people are wondering why, <laughs> uh, right? A couple of things. One, Tony Evers outspent his opponent. If you take Tony Evers and the people backing him versus Tim Michaels and those, he outspent them. Ron Johnson and his allies outspent Mandela Barnes. Now, it's not just that simple. It's what they did in those ads. Um, Ron Johnson effectively defined Mandela Barnes as soft on crime. That likely played a factor. Now, if you talk to Democrats, they're going to bring up race. Now, we can't ignore that factor. Was race an issue? We don't know from exit polls whether it was, but there are some Democrats who can argue that there was a race issue because you had um, the drop-offs that you did. Also worth noting, which kind of surprised me, the governor's race had more votes cast in it than the Senate race. We kind of thought the Senate race would drive the train uh, in Wisconsin because there was so much money spent there, just so much. And it wasn't. The governor's race did. What you see in this map is the two problems that the parties have but it's more significant for Republicans right now in statewide races. What I'm getting at is that Dane County is a turnout machine. Uh, Milwaukee County has a huge margin for, Democrat, or for Democrats, even though it's dropping in terms of turnout. And the wild counties, you have to hit certain marks to be successful as a, Democrat, a Republican statewide. My first control election was 2002. There were 172,000 votes cast overall for all three candidates, Jim Doyle, Scott McCallum, and Ed Thompson, plus write-ins, everybody else. Tony Evers won Dane County by 174,000 votes on Tuesday. There isn't a single county in Wisconsin you could point to that has grown that much and gotten that much more partisan over that time period. Now, Milwaukee is losing some steam in terms of like its place in the pecking order. The suburbs, uh, the second I saw Tim Michaels getting 60% in Milwaukee County, I knew he was, he was in trouble um, because there are not enough rural voters to make up the losses in the suburbs if you're Republican and the machine that Dane County is in statewide elections. Now, for Democrats, the flip is that with the legislative races, they can't crawl out of the the minorities they're in right now without doing better in rural Wisconsin. Go county by county, up north, out west, they're doing more poorly than they were a couple cycles ago. But there just aren't enough votes to make up for what's happening in a statewide race. Now, Ron Johnson, he did better in the wild counties. He didn't lose Dane County by as much as Mandela Barnes did. He did it better in Milwaukee County. That, the Ron Johnson formula is what you, basically he said the benchmark going forward, what you have to as a Republican to win statewide. He won by what, 27, 29,000 votes, I think it was. For going forward, those are your marks. Watch an election night with Johnson in the wild counties, the Bow counties, up in the Fox Valley, Brown, Outagini, Winnebago, Dana, Milwaukee. Watch those numbers going forward. So you need to hit as a Republican. Yeah, and you're leading on to our next slide, so let's just pull it up. I mean, Waukesha County, Ron Johnson had nearly 6,000 more votes compared to Tim Michaels. And Tim Michaels received almost 67,000 fewer votes than Johnson. So you got to think that, you know, talking to strategists too, everyone's got their theories mm-hmm. of how this happened. People vote at the top of the ticket, skip governor's race, or, you know, vote Johnson, 
skip governor's race or maybe just go Evers and then go down the rest of the ballot. So there clearly was some people just not voting in that race or not agreeing with maybe Michael's agenda. I mean, we knew defend democracy and abortion were on the ballot. Was it the suburban moms that were turned off that he wanted to transform elections that he kind of flip-flopped on abortion issues? I mean, that's all in play. Other sources that I talked to believe that Trump also still had a factor. Mm -hmm. Trump did help carry Michaels to the finish line in the primary. I mean, he held a rally with Trump in Rebecca Clayfish's backyard. Um, That could have helped. Who knows? But a lot of people are pointing to that. Tim Michaels also tried to push off Trump shortly after the primary. He was not mentioned in commercials. He, for a quick second, removed Trump's endorsement on his website. So the campaign tried to keep a distance. But was that Trump aura still there? Mm-hmm. And was that a factor as well? So there's so there's a lot of things here at play. Before we keep going, I know we can keep <laughs> an analy- analyzing. I still just want to quickly hear from Ron Johnson and uh, Mandela Barnes conceding in this race, and then we'll pick up from there. I just want to give you guys the, the sense that uh, this race is over. I think anybody looking at the numbers would have to admit that fact. But for whatever reason, they're not willing to call it. You know, I do believe that uh, this time, uh, truth has prevailed over the lies, over the character assassination. And let, let's uh, wait for all the numbers to come in, and then we'll declare victory tomorrow morning. Have a good evening. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get over the finish line this time. But I know that this movement has meant so much to all of us. But just because we didn't get across the finish line, that does not mean it's over. This is not the time for us to tune out. It's the time for us to double down. It's the time for us to show up like we've never shown up before. To make sure that Ron Johnson, every political leader, knows that they answer to every person in Wisconsin, not just the people that voted for them. And together, we're going to continue to persevere. We're going to organize for better. We're going to fight for better. And one day soon, together, we will all achieve better. We're going to jump back into more of kind of our analysis. You know, one other thing that I heard at JR this week is that Tim Michaels didn't spend as much time in Dane and Madison, uh, Dane County, what I'm referring to. Um, one of the people that he, who was on the campaign trail with him was former Governor Tommy Thompson. He told the Journal Sentinel that was one area that he tried to push the campaign that, hey, you can't ignore Madison. You can still pick up some votes here. Dane County's pretty pretty large. Um, but, Jared, what, what else were you hearing from people about this race specifically? Uh, look, to the Madison issue, look at the spending. The Michaels campaign neglected the Dane County mar- market, the Madison media market for spending. Uh, we were not so obviously Milwaukee's top, Green Bay was there. We were, I think, below Wausau for Tim Michaels spending on TV. That should tell you something about how they neglected the Madison media market. There are a lot of Republicans here. Overall, though, abortion was definitely on the ballot on Tuesday, right? Makes sense. But for abortion alone that drove the results in the, in the races, John Johnson would have lost, too. Talking to people all week, they pointed me to me a couple of things. One, obviously abortion. Uh, Ron Johnson sponsored a national abortion ban. Ron Johnson on camera saying the 1849 abortion ban mirrored his personal beliefs. Also, there were the ads about harassment lawsuits filed against the Michaels Corporation. People talked about it as an arc to me. The abortion ads were one thing. The harassment ads were another. They drove home this message of this guy, I don't know about him. It undercut the whole business savvy thing, the leadership qualities he tried to portray on the campaign trail. Then add in the Trump stuff. You know, it reminded college-educated suburban women of like what they don't like about Trump, this trifecta of abortion, sexual harassment, and the Trump stuff 
it hurt Michaels in the wild counties. Look at the results in the wild counties. He underperformed Ron Johnson in that key Republican area. It couldn't have been just been abortion. It was more than abortion that hurt him with those voters. All right. Um, now we're going to change uh, and take a look at turnout in the city of Milwaukee specifically because it was the lowest turnout in the city, I'm not talking county, mm -hmm. since 2006. As you can see, it was going up, 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 up the last four midterm election cycles and then a drop. So a theory also out there is maybe why Mandela Barnes lost is because of Milwaukee turnout. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we also have seen throughout the years, Republicans often brag about their inroads in Milwaukee with Latino and black voters. And then I believe it was a Ron Johnson event the week before the election or a few days. He also said that they've been heavily in Milwaukee. Uh, also, you know, uh, getting poll workers, poll observers, more people involved. They've been talking about that for a few years, but I think this might be proof that a lot of typical liberals that live in the city of Milwaukee are kind of expanding or, you know, going in another direction and Republicans are making gains. Also, you know, the RNC is there, so they hope to even make any more gains in the next four years. But, um, you know, that's kind of what I was hearing. Uh, Milwaukee is also shrinking. Um, there are some questions about the post-COVID population mm -hmm. in Milwaukee County and the city. Might that be a factor? Might you have uh, people who are not turning out for a reason? Maybe maybe with Republicans, they go, okay, um, I'm not thrilled with Ron Johnson, but I'm not going to vote for Mandela because of crime stuff. Maybe. Uh, maybe that's part of it. It just also could be that Mandela Barnes, for being from Milwaukee, was often viewed as a Dane County candidate. He was more of kind of this liberal in Dane County being a lieutenant governor than he was a Milwaukee politician. Remember, he went against Lena Taylor in a primary in 2016 and lost badly. Um, so, I don't know, it could be a combination of all those things that hurt him, but yes, Milwaukee, if Milwaukee turned out the way it had in the past, it may be a different story in that, that Senate race. Also, Republicans were telling me, you know, what's also difficult is when you don't have you don't come out on top on a really competitive primary. I mean, everyone cleared the field for Barnes. No one went negative against him. You know, a lot of people are speculating, what if it was Sarah Godlewski going up against Ron Johnson? What if it was Alex Lazary going up? Would, would, if, would it be different? I mean, everyone can speculate. But not coming out strong, getting the name recognition, I won my primary, and... Johnson was ready to go. He knew who he was going to face once all these candidates dropped out. They had the ads ready in place, ready to define him even before Barnes was able to define himself. We have to know that the national conversations we talked about before really turned away from Wisconsin. There was an expectation that Ron Johnson was going to win comfortably. Right. Now, winning comfortably in Wisconsin is a different <laughs> definition than other places, right? Very true. It was a one-point race. It's 27,000 votes. Um, that surprised people, I thought, that it wasn't closer because this expectation that okay, it's all about Pennsylvania and Georgia, Nevada and Arizona, we're off the map. Turns out we weren't. Um, now, what role did polling play in that? I said every time we talked about a poll, there are snapshots in time, look at the trend. The trends were moving toward Ron Johnson, but it wasn't rolling. And the margin of error in a poll, there are margin of error races. Um, so people kind of misread this nationally, thinking that Ron Johnson put this race away. And you know, Mandela's right there, but the early definition of him as soft on crime hurt. And Republicans will argue, yeah, it was closer than people maybe thought it was going to be, but we were never really truly worried because we felt we put it away. Even at one point, a one-point gap, we felt like he was not going to overcome that gap because of the, the crime stuff with Mandela. Uh, all right, let's touch on the attorney general's race. Another election that was super close. Mm -hmm. um, this is uh, the results. Uh, there's... Of course, these are all pre pre preliminary results. Um, 
Josh Call, I mean, it's within a percentage point here. Um, and another factor they got to throw in there, Eric Tony got 30,000 more votes compared to Michael's. So it yep. really just seemed like there was this miss um, with Michael's campaign. Uh, and, you know, got to give credit to Eric Tony to, for, you know, putting up a good fight here. For not having any resources. Yeah, Absolutely. that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, question is, what question we asked before, does yeah. Josh Call, with the money he had, was he able to create a unique identity beyond the generic ballot? Obviously not. Um, this was Michaels being a drag on Eric Tony in some ways, right? The ballot, the, the uh, Republican lineup in general, and Josh Call could not create that unique identity that made him on a rise above despite more money. Now we say more money, but that more money was what you know, six million bucks spent yeah. on TV compared to right. millions, seven million bucks on TV goes to millions in the Senate race and the governor's race. Now for Call though, this puts him firmly conversation about 2026. Now I don't want to try and push Governor Evers out the door, but let's be honest, he's 71 years old. Uh, there's not an expectation he'll run again in four years. Um, he's kind of hinted two terms would be enough. And hey, you gotta give him all kinds of credit for the campaign that he ran, the message they had, the operation they've got. But in politics, we can't always wait until think about the future. Josh calls in that conversation of 2026, if he wants it. And the challenge for Call is, he approaches the AG's office as a lawyer first and politician second people say, which is laudable in some ways, but he's also a politician. He has to use the office to raise his profile and explore if he wants to run for governor. Now, I'm not saying he wants to, it's do you burn to be governor? Mr. Call, do you want to be governor? If you do, you gotta figure out a way to raise your profile with voters. Obviously with these results, he had not done that in the first four years. We're also gonna talk about Sarah Galuski, state treasurer who dropped out of the Senate race, Alex Lazary, right. um, Mandela Barnes, what's he wanna do? maybe more congressional, fourth congressional district. Got to talk about Cavalier Johnson, the Milwaukee mayor. Um, David Crowley, the county executive. I mean, these are kind of like high profile elected Democrats. They got to figure out the next four years who's going to be their kind of standard bearer for governor, assuming, assuming Governor Evers is going to do two terms and say, hey, I've, I've done my time and earned my accolades. I can go off in the sunset now and retire. And one thing I'm watching is if he can get a victory with this whole abortion lawsuit too. Yep. He believed that abortion also drove, drove uh, out a lot of supporters for him. Um, I think it did up and down the ballot uh, with this issue like we were talking in before. But if he can somehow win that, I mean, that's something he can definitely run on for a governor. Uh, and that state Supreme Court race talked about this spring. Oh. I know we just came off an election. <laughs> Nomination papers go out December 1st, the Supreme Court race. Yes. But that race could determine the chances of Call's lawsuit being successful in the Wisconsin court system. Very true. And we have to talk on the state legislature. Mm -hmm. uh, Republicans fell short of gaining a supermajority. Let's first start with taking a look at the state Senate. A lot of this was predictable. Mm -hmm. uh, they had to pick up one seat in the Senate. They sure did. So as you can see the map there. Now let's just take a look at the assembly. Five seats were on the line. They needed to pick up five and they picked up three. So fell short, but you got to give some Democrats some credit for putting up this fight and not giving that to Republicans. But also, Republicans won some districts that were very competitive. Yeah. So it was an interesting night all around. Look at the Senate first. So Democrats brought the resources in Jeff Smith uh, of Brunswick, out there, kind of Eau Claire area, won by basically a percentage point, a 50-50 seat. So, okay, he held on. The seats that Rep Democrats lost on Tuesday were Sarah Rodriguez's, um, Assembly seat. Oh, got, got to mention her for governor in four years. Can't forget her as lieutenant governor. Um, but Rodriguez's seat was redrawn to be very much more Republican. That was expected to lose that one. And the two northern Wisconsin seats, the 73rd and 74th, 
Uh, one, the seat of retiring Dem, Nick Milroy, was pretty even, a closer people thought it might be. Other one, not as much. But looking at, remember we talked about, to go from 64 where Republicans are to 66, they got to beat Steve Doyle. He won by less than 1,000 votes, but you know, in a 50-50 seat, a comfortable margin. And they have to go beat a real, like a, a blue seat. Katrina Shanklin held on, uh, not that close. Lori Palmieri talked about her legal issues in the past, didn't seem to hurt her in Oshkosh. And Tip McGuire, for all the money they spent in his race, he, had, he won by double digits. So it wasn't, nothing really. There was that fear factor yes. though out there, right? And it pulled yeah. money away from other places. If mm-hmm. they put that money up in the 73rd in Milroy's seat, maybe, maybe Laura Gapsky beats Angie Sapic. You never know. But they made choices to prevent the two-thirds majority. They held on. Um, so both sides get a win. Republicans, hey, they have one of the biggest majorities in decades in the Assembly and uh, the Senate. But Democrats hold the two-thirds majority down in the Assembly. They protect the Evers veto, and they can stop the election bills. They can stop anything else that they want to that Evers veto is going forward. It's in a sense uh, for people who weren't up all night. Uh, you, w- you woke up Wednesday, and it's, a, well, it's almost the same thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. Republicans didn't gain a supermajority. Republicans will still control both chambers. Governor Evers will still be the check on Republicans' agenda by vetoing legislation. But we did see kind of a shift in tone from Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, even after the results. You and I mm-hmm. uh, and a few press people uh, got, spoke with him after caucusing with his members yesterday, and he seemed to lay out some areas of compromise that he want to work with the governor, right? We know the last four years there's been a lot of gridlock in the Capitol. Things got off to a rough start in 2018 by even before Evers was sworn into office. They passed all those lame duck laws that kind of started this whole rocky relationship. We know they don't sit down and meet face to face. But the two issues Voss threw out there is he wants to maybe make a compromise on school funding. He's offering, hey, Evers, you want more school funding for K-12 through schools? We'll do that. But in exchange, maybe let's expand private school vouchers. On the other hand, this wasn't anything new, but Voss reiterated that he's willing to try and muster his caucus and the Senate, which is a whole other beast on the abortion issue, of adding exceptions for rape or incest. Governor Evers held a press conference on Wednesday, so he didn't really react to Voss's comments on Thursday, but Evers said he'd rather have this play out in the courts. He wants to win this, of course, but Voss's argument was we're the state lawmakers, we should make the laws. But as we know, this caucus is, has a lot of opinions and, and I just don't know if that type of bill even reached Governor Evers' desk. It's, it, it appears that he would not sign that. I talked to Devin Lemonhue uh, as well this week. He talked about taxes being a priority. Obviously the personal right. property tax, which businesses pay, uh, that's something that everyone wants to go away, it's how you get it done. Lemonhue talked about going, okay, maybe not a flat tax right away, but going down to maybe two uh, tiered. Tier two brackets, we have four right now. Talk about that as a possibility, but the question is what's Evers want to do? Also, would Evers veto a budget if they send him one he didn't like? Um, I had somebody tell me this week that for Governor Evers, the whole discussion is what's it do for schools? If it hurts schools, he won't make a political statement, but he also has things he wants to get. What will he get out of legislators going forward? Huge, huge question for him. And there's also the $5 billion question, right? Yep. <laughs> the state's projected surplus on what lawmakers will do. Of course, we've heard from Republicans tax cuts, um, but Governor Evers, of course, has really just pushed uh, school funding. So we'll see what happens. And the players remain the same. Rob yep. Voss is mm-hmm. speaker again. Lemahue is majority leader again. There were no real changes in the Senate leadership on the Republican side. You did have Joan Balwig join as caucus vice chair as an open spot because Kathy Bernier retired. 
Um, in the assembly, everybody kind of moved up a spot. Right, everyone part. just kind of shifted up one. <laughs> Tyler August becomes majority leader, which makes him basically speaker in waiting. Uh, there's a lot of questions at Capitol Lobbying Corps about whether Robin Boss retires after this term. If he does, then Tyler August moves up to speaker. Kevin Peterson became speaker pro tempore, number three spot, and there he's kind of like moved up a spot. On the Democratic side, Melissa Agard of Madison's running for minority leader in the Senate. Um, I had not heard anybody else challenging for that spot right now. We also have Jeff Smith running for leadership, um, Chris Larson, and um, Diane Hasselbein, who's actually a senator-elect. Um, those are the four people running for the four spots in the Senate right now. Interesting note, between the four leadership posts and two spots on finance, more than half of the Senate Democrats will be on leadership next session. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Over the Assembly, uh, Greta Neubauer is going to run again. Everybody changed member in January because Gordon Hintz left as Assembly Member Leader, and Hesselbein left her spot to focus on her Senate race. Everybody who took a spot in January is coming back to run again in caucus leadership next week. So that's Neubauer as a minority leader. And it's going to be interesting to watch how they've run those caucuses in the face of big minorities. Um, basically, your job is to hold the line and drive the message that Evers wants to deliver about various issues. All right. Can't wait for next session. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be interesting. All right, we got about five minutes left, uh, JR. Let's get to stock picks. Rising this week is John Lieberman, who was uh, the Democrat that uh, won state treasurer. So I'm not trying to make fun of you, but it's Liber. Oh, Liber, and, excuse me. And you actually illustrate my point. Who is this guy? <laughs> so, not very not, well known. And I'm not trying to make fun of John. Right, right. But yes. we talked about these races, right? Um, would they be a generic ballot impact of... Um, for Secretary of State and for Treasurer. And here you have a guy who actually, and I'm not kidding you, had several people tell me this week, how do you pronounce his last name? And the fact they didn't know that, what's it say about how much, how well known he was in this campaign? So, okay, so let's take a step back. Why does a guy who didn't spend a whole lot of money get elected? Is it as simple as people go, okay, Republicans, money, Treasurer, that makes sense? Maybe. Was it that, okay, Abortion was an issue that dragged down Republicans for governor uh, and AG. But there wasn't the abortion issue in the Secretary of State's race or the Treasurer's race, maybe. You know, maybe people just picked. I mean, maybe they went, I'm voting for Evers and Call, but I don't feel good about all Democrats. I'm going to vote for this guy. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Nobody really knows. And can't forget, John Liber did not have the party's endorsement for a uh, treasurer at the, at, convention at the convention in May. Mm -hmm. Orlando Owens did, and Lieber went, ran away with that primary in August. This guy had defined expectations the entire way, and now he's the only statewide elected Republican in constitutional office. Obviously, you know, we got Ron Johnson, federal office. It's, it's really a remarkable story for a guy who really is not well known. He's now in this position. That's the other mystery from election yeah. night, that's for sure. But credit to John. Mixed this week, Doug LaFollette, Secretary of State race, was also much closer than yep. many people expected. Uh, and there was a lot more money that was poured into this. A, the magic, if there was any of the LaFollette name, is obviously gone. Um, LaFollette, we talked about this. People expected because he's a LaFollette, he would rise above. Democrats had a bad night, he'd still win. Well, as we speak, the margin is like about 7,000 votes between him and Amy Loudenbeck. Now, under state law, there's no automatic recount. The loser can request a recount if the vote is within 1% of what was cast, but to have it be paid for by taxpayers, it has to be 0.25% or less. My math as of yesterday, about 5 o'clock, was it was 0.29%. Oh. Even if, and now, the county canvases are going to come in, that'll be 
you know, if there were any mistakes in, like, reporting, like if, you know, numbers were flipped or whatever, we'll see that in the county canvas. That'll be the official numbers that come in by Tuesday the 22nd, I believe it has to be in. We'll see if anything moves, okay? Even if you get under the threshold for a free recount for Amy, it's not going to change things. Recounts mostly are about feeding bouts, back to the machines, checking numbers, and that's it. You have to do hand-to-hand battle over, you know, that ballot should be thrown out because that guy put an X here rather than circling here or filling in a bubble here. Oh, this ballot didn't have... That's, it's not going to change at that margin. But La Follette is likely to be back in this office with no responsibilities, essentially, um, and barely hung on despite this name that you know, people thought was going to be golden, and it just isn't anymore. All right. And falling this week is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee because they pulled out of the Derek Van Orden and Brad Paff race, or he pulled out specifically for the Democrat, Bad, Bad, Brad Paff. We're almost there, Tara. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, but, and the, maybe if they invested, it could have been a different outcome. There are groups like the Cook Political Report, uh, Crystal Ball of Virginia, that do like ratings of congressional races. One of them, actually a week and a half ago, said, we are taking the third off our list because it's so done. We want to write about other races. It creates room to write about other races. He lost by four points. Um, the question is, if the D-Trip had invested, had taken this race seriously, would have changed the outcome. Now... House Majority Pack, it's a demo line group, pulled 1.7 million in TV the last two weeks. Would that have made a difference? Maybe. But would have made a bigger difference is investing in Brad Path early in this cycle. Yes, the 1.7 million hurt, but I'd rather see that money spent in like mid-October than the last two weeks of the race. Now, for Derek Van Orden, he's not scaring anybody off in two years, right? I mean, they're gonna look at this race and say, okay, we can win this if we invest properly. Who's gonna be the, the candidate? Will Brad take a look at it again, say, hey, if I get national support, I'll do it? He would have to give up a state Senate seat to do that, however. Rebecca Cook, who ran the primary, did better than people expected. Eau Claire businesswoman. Might she be the person that they turn to? Might somebody else come out of the woodwork? Or might a city lawmaker run? We'll see. Something to watch for Van Orden is, how does he handle the next two years? Does he work the district or become like this fixture on national TV, Fox News? Also, if Donald Trump is the nominee for Republicans in 24, he probably makes it harder to win the state in the presidential race, but improves Derek's chances in the third because, again, that suburb problem uh, yeah. versus western Wisconsin, it's, it's a fascinating dynamic to watch for this race in two years. All right, that will do it for our election recap. Thanks so much for joining us, and have a good week. Oh, I'm Emily Fannin. See, I think we're all losing it, JR. And I'm JR Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you next time. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.